Hi there, Aurora here with Supercharged Science Podcast. Welcome. So for today's episode, I thought we would talk about the big questions in science. And so I have here a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe eleven. We'll see how far we get of <laughs> some of the big questions that are currently unanswered in science. You know, kind of like a little side note here, one of my absolute just moments. Do you ever have moments like that? So yeah, moments where I get really frustrated with either the t way um, science is presented in a textbook or whether the way teachers are teaching it is that they, they often will have, for example, an experiment and they'll say, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Step one, step two, step three, and by the way, you should expect this result from your science experiment. I don't know about you, but I mean, that just kills all of the curiosity right there. What scientist in their right mind is going to do an experiment they already know the answer to, right? You can growl along with me. Arr! That's not what science is. So it's, while it's true, we do have reference books that show us things, and so we don't forget them because there's way too many details to remember. For example, even just the animal kingdom, all the different animals and the habitats. I mean, there's so much you can learn about, and it's important to catalog that information. But that's not science. Science is being curious about the world and starting to ask questions and then you design experiments in order to answer those questions. So science isn't about what you know, it's how you handle what you don't know. Do you see the difference? Okay, so knowing that, scientists get really excited when there's a puzzle that they have to solve because they don't know the answer. You can't just go look it up because it's, it's never been done before. It's never, the question either hasn't been asked before, but it certainly hasn't been answered before. Okay, so what are some of the big questions in science that we need your help in solving in your lifetime? Are you ready? So <laughs> these are some that maybe may spark some interesting dinner conversations for you and your kids, your families. So let's take a look. Question number one, what is the universe made of? We don't know. <laughs> Astronomers don't know what most of the universe is made up of. We know that atoms, you know, for example, if you were to touch the seat that you're sitting on or the wall next to you or even your arm, you know, we, you can feel that. Okay, that type of matter only makes up 5% of the matter we can detect in the universe. So what's the rest of it? We're still trying to figure that out. Okay, that's question number one. And no, I don't have answers to these. <laughs> number two, why do we dream? We spend a lot of our time asleep, right? So um, 24 hours, I don't know about you, but I try to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. That's a third of my life. And when I'm sleeping, often I'm dreaming. So what function does dreaming play? Scientists have figured out that, uh, for example, when they were um, studying animals, they will replay their waking experience that they had in dreams, helping them solve tasks that they face in the waking hours, like navigating mazes and so forth. But the question is, why do people dream? Yeah, so that's another one to think about. Okay, let's keep going. Are these fun? You're like, yeah, huh. <laughs> so if I say one that you're really interested in, you can just pause this to think about it before I move on to the next one. Or you can just write a little note in the margin of maybe a sheet of paper you have nearby. Yeah, okay, let's, let's write another one. Where do we put carbon? <laughs> so let me explain this one. So we fill our atmosphere with carbon dioxide. Every time you take a breath in, you're breathing in about 20% of that air is oxygen. When you exhale, 20% of that 20% you took in is carbon dioxide. And the plants and the uh, algae and as well as the 
a small little microorganisms in the ocean, they help take that and put it back into oxygen. So it's a cycle that keeps on going. Question is, well, we're dumping so much carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide into the atmosphere that the Earth's regular processes can't handle it. It's just too much. It's like we're clogging up the system. Kind of like how a goldfish will pollute its fish tank. <laughs> so the carbon comes from burning things like fossil fuels that were once locked below the surface. And we drill them, bring them up to the surface, turn them into gasoline in your car. And if you're listening to me in the car, you're currently burning those if you're using an internal combustion engine. So the carbon that was underground is now in the atmosphere. So the question is, how do we collect it bring it back together and put it back. And if, if there's a way to do that, how do we do that? Yeah, so that's kind of a chemistry question. Okay, great. All right, next one. How do we get more energy? <laughs> so our need for energy is not decreasing. And so we have been discovering things like renewable energy, alternative energy, things like wind turbines, solar cells, geothermal plants, hydroelectric generators, that sort of thing. And we're wondering, is there a way to create, for example, a car that runs only sun on sunlight and water? There are prototypes that do work. They just don't go that far yet. That's one of the problems. So if we could say, for example, take in the sun's light and have it um, you know, hit a box that processes that, like, for example, solar cells, and then the energy from the solar cells is used to split apart the hydrogen and oxygen from the water, and then we put those in gaseous form together through another module called a PEM module, and then when hydrogen and oxygen come together, they actually give a little puff of energy and turn into water. So, and then we can reverse that process. We can take the water and pipe it back up to the solar cell. The solar cell has energy to split it apart. You see how this goes? And then we can take that little puff of energy we get to turn the wheels of a car. Okay, so the question is, can we do this on a larger scale so it's much more sustainable? So <laughs> that, that is another question. How do we get more energy? And the other half of this question is without having it cost too much, not necessarily money, but cost the environment, cost our future, because every time we are using resources today, we're taking those resources away from what we might have in the future as well. So question, how to get more energy? And that's a question that people have been trying to solve for a long time. Uh, okay, how, how are you enjoying these? Are these kind of fun? Okay, here's another one. What's the deal with prime numbers? Now, because I love math, I had to throw one of these in there. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple of problems in math that are currently not solved. Actually, there's a number of them. Ha ha ha. Okay, so prime numbers. Prime numbers are numbers like three. It's only divisible by itself and one. 13, for example. Uh, 17, those are all prime numbers. So prime numbers are used by you every single day, actually. Uh, usually by public key encryption, every time you purchase things online, for example, that's one place prime numbers come up. So mathematicians have been trying to figure out a pattern with prime numbers for centuries. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think there could be a pattern that you just don't see? We don't know. So that's another good question. Okay, great. All right, uh, let's see. The next one I have, number six, can computers go faster? <laughs> if we keep increasing the computer power that we have, we're going to hit a limit. Specifically, the limit will come, limitation is actually in the material that the computer is made of in itself. So it's like trying to see subatomic particles, so particles that are smaller than the size of an atom, so the stuff that atoms are made out of, with an optical microscope. You can't do that. You can't see smaller than the instrument is designed for. It has specific limitations. 
So, and for an optical microscope, the limitation is the wavelength of light. Okay, so what if we make computers out of something else? Could they go even faster? That's a good question. Okay, so that's another one. Um, here's one that I personally enjoy. What's at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> that's the question. So did you know that 95% of the ocean is unexplored? That's most of it. <laughs> yes, and 90% of the ocean is pitch black. You can't actually see it because uh, sunlight doesn't penetrate below that um, a certain level of the ocean. So it's eternally dark. So the question is, what's down there? Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another one. What's at the bottom of a black hole? Yeah, I don't even know how to start answering this one. Like what happens when you cross the event horizon? We can use our physics to try to guess, but it's just a guess. Nobody knows because anytime you send a probe beyond or a spaceship or anybody past the, uh, the point of no return of a black hole, you can't get any data back because there's no way to actually um, cross that event horizon again. It's not like going in and out of your house or in and out of a car. You're like, oh, I can tell what that new car is like. Let me go, to, uh, let me get inside, take a look around, and I'll come back and tell you. You can't do that because a black hole, by definition, is an object, <clears throat> excuse me, whose gravitational pull um, is greater, so is so great that nothing, not even light, can escape because it's, an, it's basically an object where in order to escape, you need to be going faster than the speed of light. And since objects don't go faster than the speed of light, there's no way you can even get, you can't get a radio signal, you can't get flashes of light, they'll all get dragged back. So nothing can come out of it, that's it. Now you might be thinking, well, my kid's room is kind of like a black hole. Once things go in there, they don't come back out. <laughs> you know, parents, you know, I heard this the other day. Um, the, somebody was sharing, like, you want to get your kids to clean their room. And, you know, the audience was saying, yes. <laughs> so the guy's like, okay, kids' rooms are about as clean as you keep the garage. And then everybody in the audience went, went real quiet. <laughs> so I'm going to go clean my garage now. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I have, I have, I think I have two more for you. Ready? Number nine, is time travel possible? Well, the answer is actually yes to this one. And well, in partial, it's yes. So astronauts orbiting the space station actually experience time passing more slowly, even if the effects are so minimal, like they never actually notice it. So for example, they experience two seconds uh, uh, for every one second of someone else, for example. So the question is, is if we make them orbit the Earth even faster, like a lot faster, it means that maybe we will be able to travel into the future and while we're on that rocket ship, time won't pass that quickly for us as it would be if we weren't traveling, if we weren't speeding, <laughs> near the, speeding up at like maybe 10% the speed of light or something like that. So yeah, so it, the part that we don't know how to do is how do you travel in the other direction? So we know how to speed, um, have time pass at a different rate by changing speeds. That's already been proven more times than any other uh, idea in science or physics has ever been tested. So we know this for a fact, but we don't know how, for example, to bring a person from the past into the future. Like, <laughs> we don't know how to do that. That's just not something. And we also don't know why time only goes one direction. You know, why is it that it doesn't go the opposite direction? We have no idea. Yeah, it's up there with the last one that I'm going to mention, which if you can guess what it is, my guess is you can. <laughs> so the last one's about gravity. 
And so I mentioned why does time only go in one direction? Why does it seem to go at a constant rate for non-accelerating objects? Don't know why that is, we just know that it is. Uh, same thing with gravity, this is number 10. Why does gravity only go in one direction? Doesn't it seem odd to you there's no like north and south gravity? You know, the way there's north and south magnetic poles or plus and minus charges for plus and minus gravity, right? Only one way for gravity? I mean, what would a planet look like if it had like negative gravity? Like, could you even land on the surface or would you be like flung out back into outer space? As soon as you approach the planet, you'd be like, boing! <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Those are 10 questions that are currently unanswered. Maybe you, one of those is something that you might want to think of and you can draw pictures of, you can diagram it, you can think about how you would answer those questions. And specifically, what kind of experiments would you set up to answer those questions? Uh, for example, um, there were scientists who didn't know if the earth was really rotating in space or if it was standing still. And they had to design an experiment, it was a super cool experiment, where they, they were able to tell, yeah, actually, the earth is rotating. <laughs> so there's a couple, like if you've ever seen a Foucault pendulum, that's also demonstrate that the earth is rotating. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of cool demonstrations out there that you can do, a lot of cool experiments. You just got to think about the question and think about how would you design an experiment to answer that question. That, that's the whole game right there. So remember what I mentioned in the beginning. It's not enough just to follow step A, step B, step C, and, you know, get brownies. That's, that's cooking. <laughs> that's following a recipe. No scientist in their right mind is going to do an experiment they already know the answer to. Scientists are excited when they don't know stuff. They're excited because there's a puzzle for them to solve. And I am excited to hear what you come up with. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, if you like this and you'd like to learn more about supercharged science, you can just find us online. My name's Aurora Lipper, L-I-P-P-E-R, and my uh, company is Supercharged Science. Been doing this since 1999, educating K through 12, and I actually taught at the university for many years as well. Uh, I taught mechanical engineering there as well. Really, really enjoyed it. Had a great time. Love being able to share and talk science with really anybody who wants to. So <laughs> I hope this has been fun for you and your family, and I will see you in the next Supercharged Science Cast. Take care.